Hi, everybody. Perry Martin here from Martin International with Brendan Kelly from Results Property Mentoring. And welcome to this week's podcast or videocast, depending on how you're consuming the media. Welcome, Brendan. Thank you, Perry. It's great to be here. I do enjoy our conversations. I think uh, we have a bit of a blast in our conversations. I love it. Yeah, we do. It's a bit of a ping pong match. And one of the things that I'm looking forward to today is that we're really playing into your expertise with this subject. And the subject is this. So both Brendan and I, as you all know, we work very closely with investors and business owners. And oftentimes, business owners and investors aren't all over the numbers. And that causes them many, many problems. And the reason I'm excited to have Brent on board today for this conversation is he is a maths whiz. And I actually asked him before we, we, we um, started recording this video and podcast whether he had genius capacities because I was with him one day and his speed and accuracy to reel off numbers and to, to do multiplications, division in his head, I was left like this. So we are with Wiz. So, Brendan, you, <laughs> you, you studied maths. Give us a bit of your background before we get into uh, what we're going to talk about. Sure. I started out my education from a, I wanted to become a teacher. Works out maths was something I was good at. So I've got a maths degree, uh, science, computer science, went on to do uh, a graduate diploma in business administration, retail wholesale management um, as well. And uh, started my master's, but thought, you know, that's going up the wrong path. And uh, having done a couple of, uh, of the, oh, what do you call semesters in the master's, I said, yeah, no. Nah. Let's, let's do a different path yeah. and but, uh, start my own business. Yeah, and regardless to say still, you do have incredible aptitude numbers, <laughs> don't you? Because you started to tell me, so, you know, you said you were like in the top 10% typically, is that correct? Yeah, yeah somewhere, somewhere in the single digit uh, against the population, yes. Yeah, great. great. Good. So, so perfect um, person, wouldn't you agree, listeners, viewers? <laughs> perfect person to have on board to talk about the numbers for business owners and investors. So, Brendan, let's get into it. The importance um, of knowing your numbers. Tell us about it. What do you, what do you think? Numbers are everything. Um, <clears throat> basically, sure, there's a perspective required for you to have the drive and the desire to want to um, achieve your business. But the answer about whether you do or not is seeing profit in the deal before you begin. And, and that's probably the essence of today's conversation, being able to see profit in what you're looking to do before you begin, before you start. And the reason for that is so that you can be certain that what you're getting into has the capacity to yield the outcome that you want. If you can't get the outcome that you want or you don't know what it is that this, this deal, property investing deal or business venture or um, expansion that you're looking to take on with your business. If you don't know what you, the price is, if you don't know what you're going to get out of it, you're kind of shooting from the hip, you're gambling. It's, it's, it's a ready, fire, aim approach, which is, which is, sure, it's evolutionary, but you're taking on risk, you're gambling. And the more you get to know about the numbers in what you're looking to take on, the more certainty you have in making money out of what you're looking to, to take on. Um, I'll give you an example, Perry, if I could, being a standard renovation deal. Again, as you know, I'm a property investor and um, I don't get into anything until I'm very clear on what I'm going to get out of it first. 
and property deals are very, very good at isolating those particular functions. So if we took a renovation, for example, let's say I was going to buy something for around $300,000. Well, if I go, oh, this is ugly and it's about $300,000, let's go and buy that, then, then I'm hoping and praying that I'll make some money out of it. And that's not, not good enough. Um, so I need to know what is going to happen with this property and all the numbers around this property before I pull the trigger on purchasing it. And the art of that is knowing, well, what am I going to produce and what is the value of what I'm going to produce? Knowing that before my signing contract. So if I'm going to look for a ugly house to renovate and to put back into the market, then I need to know what renovated houses are in that market. And the reason I need to know that is because I work backwards from the end game. I work backwards from this is what I'm going to produce. This is the value of what I'm going to produce. And on that basis, take out all the costs, associate the costs associated with time, come right back to what do I need to buy it for. All right. <clears throat> so it works out that, that um, let's say, for example, I've done my research and it says $360,000 is what um, renovated properties are selling for there. And I have a chance to buy an unrenovated for $300,000. Well, Perry, that's got to make $60,000 profit, right? No. 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 Right. Why? Because there is stamp duties, holding costs, renovation costs, selling costs, um, and, and I've got to have enough in there also for an amount of prize for me, for the energy and effort I put in. So if we associate 5% for stamp duties, uh, a certain amount of hold costs, uh, about a 10% budget for our own costs, um, and about some profit for me, if I add up, if, if I ignore the profits, it works out that all of the costs, buy for $300,000, add up all the costs from a reno, it's about $370,000 worth of expenses. But my renovation project will sell for $360,000. So by knowing the numbers, I know that at $300,000, this isn't a good deal. So what I need to do is go back and negotiate. And if I negotiate, then <clears throat> I can buy it for a different value. If I buy it for $270,000, then the numbers work out this way. It's a $270,000 buy. There'll be 5% in stamp duties, uh, about 4% in holding costs. There'll be about a 10% rental budget. There'll be about 10% in it for me, and I get to sell it after selling costs for three hundred and sixty and walk away with $27,000 worth of profit. So I know at three hundred dollars this deal doesn't work. I know at two hundred and seventy. dollars it does based on me knowing what the end value is. And that's a ready, aim, fire approach. Yeah, one of the things I noticed with that, Brendan, is the real accuracy in understanding all costs, like uh, your, your deep data mining, every bit of knowledge in regards to the cost and potential sale price of, 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 of that piece of property. So you're Correct. going to that with, with, with total accuracy if you wouldn't mind me just saying i think that uh investors for the most part are trained to do that and i think a lot of business owners aren't which i'll probably talk about later well i've been playing with a couple of business owners recently and, and um been supporting them with uh, their modeling and um one of them came up to me and said i'm looking to start a business I'm going, that's exciting great well, what are you into 
well, I, what I want to do is I want to get um, uh, people who've got experience in business to people who are currently unemployed and looking to start their own business, and I want to get the two together. And that way, I can I can get people with smarts to people with who want to be smarter, and, and they can grow. The, the contribution from the mentor's perspective is the the contribution, the ability to give back, the, the ability to share their heart and their wisdom, and and, and to to build somebody. The contribution. The, the recipient is the person who has the passion, the desire to want to do something and needs the skill to do it. There's a real win-win. So that's awesome. It's awesome. That's great. She goes, yeah, and what I've done is I've gone down the path of getting these people and what I've done is I've gone down the path of getting these people. I said, that's great. That's great. Really, that's really exciting. She goes, yeah, I can't wait to get it started. I said, great. How does it make money? That's, that's exactly <laughs> what, I, what I meant. And where, probably when where I is the win in it for you? Where, and, and then she's going, what do you mean? What do you mean? And it, it, the essence of that comes back to um, she had a heart to contribute. She was looking to provide a community service, but in all of the thinking around it, there was no way that that was sustainable at all because there's no revenue. Yeah. Brendan, when, when... Nobody's buying the service. Of course. I'll, I'll, when you have finished what you're doing about the numbers... I'm going to get into say some of the personality profiles and how, Brilliant. yeah. And so you're already pointing to something I know. As I said, a lot of business owners don't, and business owners don't because they often display a lot of passion about what they're doing, which overrides accuracy. Well, but we'll yeah, we'll talk about that later. Yeah, keep going. Okay, so if we if we then relate the concept to so let me take then a, a, a business concept. Let me take a, a business thing. Let's say for example you wanted and again coming from the field of mentoring, let's say you wanted to be your own mentor, let's say you wanted to provide a service or a consultancy, let's just say. If you wanted to be a consultant then um, and you're currently employed and you've got the image of if I was a consultant then my world would change. And you're employed on let's say forty dollars an hour. Let's just say, you might turn around and go, you know what, if I, if I was a consultant, if I went out there on my own, what I could do is I could charge $100 an hour and I'd make a packet. And now, thinking about it, <laughs> given that we are at $40 an hour right now, $100 is a massive climb. Right, so part of the thing is then, how do I, you know, how much and how good would $100 an hour be? Now, without doing the maths behind it, without doing the number crunching behind it, you actually don't know. Um, I'm just going to interject for a second. Perry, you're rubbing your microphone or something. There seems to be a lot of um, noise from the... That's is, that any, is that better? Yeah, it's okay. better. All right, great. So I need to edit that. All right, back to it. Um, so if I wanted to do $100 an hour, no, different question. I'm going to start that again. If you're a consultant and, no, start again, two seconds, sorry about this. Okay. If you're, if you're currently employed, let's say, and you want to become a consultant as an idea, brilliant. And let's say you're on $85,000 a year right now and you're thinking, you know what, what would be ideal for me is if I was on 100. If I was a consultant, I'd be $100,000 a year. That would just be ideal. And that way I'd have the life I wanted to live, always wanted to live. So I know I'll go out, I'll quit, and I'll become a consultant. That's the model. But we need to know the numbers about how that is viably going to work and whether it does or not. And we need to know about the business and all the different components of the business and their costs and their time associated in order to justify whether $100,000 is the right number to be charging. 
Um, so in order to make $100,000 then, let's say, and let's say then we wanted to do that at, well, I don't know, let's say $100, $100 an hour. If I was earning $100 an hour, given what I'm currently on as, my, as an employee, if I was on $100 an hour, that's my answer. Okay, I want to make $100,000 a year, I'm on $100 an hour. So how many hours is that all up over my year? Well, that's 1,000 hours. I need 1,000 hours of FaceTime consulting. Okay, 1,000 hours. If I break that down into a week then, that turns out to be around about, well, actually, you're not going to be working 52 weeks, are you? There's going to be Christmas, there's going to be downtime, and there'll be people busy doing other things. So all of your clients may not be available 52 weeks of the year. So if we take out two weeks of Christmas and four weeks for other interruptions, let's say that there are a total of 46 weeks. Now, do you see how we're starting to work numbers? We're starting to model the business and the viability of what we're looking to achieve. All right. We need 1,000 hours, we've got 46 weeks to do it. That's about more 22 FaceTime hours per week. So you're thinking, oh, how cool is that? I'm on $100,000 on half a week. That is awesome. I'm working so many hours now in my job. This is going to be so much better. Well, is it? Because around the FaceTime hours, there's a whole pile of things you need to do. Don't forget, you need to actually drive to these people to see these people FaceTime. Some will be on Skype, sure, but some will be, some will be um, in different forms and you'll need to face to face. So there's, there's travel time to do that. If we allow, say, I don't know, 30 minutes each way for about a quarter of the people, that's about six hours per week. Well, that 22 is not 22 anymore, it's 28. It's creeping up. Okay, great. If we then put these consultants on a, let's say, a three-month program, so I'm going to be doing them three months, weekly for three months, Okay, that's, that's good, that's a great deal. So I'm gonna need 22 clients to be on the A program, a three-month program, but I'm gonna need new clients. Now, new clients don't just appear because I want them to appear. They really? Reply, no, no, <laughs> I've heard that. Uh, it, they, we need to market for them, we need to promote ourselves. And then we go, okay, great, I'm gonna need two new clients a week in order to replace two that are going to drop off. So I'm on a rotational basis of 22 hours of fake time per week. All right. So if I go for marketing and sales time, social media, LinkedIn, email marketing, presentations, act, um, article writing, etc. Let's let's allow five hours a week for that. We're going to need content creation because we've got to attract people. We've got to put marketing out there. Let's allow five, week, five hours a week for that. Now, no business runs without admin, bookkeeping, accounting. So we're going to have to manage that. Invoice generation um, and Clients, Perry, you would have noticed all clients act perfectly. They're always, <laughs> they are, they're always on time and they never miss an appointment. I'm just thinking about the calendar, the calendar management for this person. They don't know yet how many hours a week they're going to spend in calendar management because people go, I can't make this appointment this month. Can you do it another? <laughs> Correct. In this case, that's lost time for you in a week. Yeah. So, okay, so we need calendar management. We need client management. So let's allow 15 hours a week for that. Lead generation, relationship building, we're getting to our clients because the first time you meet someone is not going to be a income generating conversation. It'll be a conversation. Trust building. To see exactly, relationship building. And it might be one, two or three times before we actually start to, as a client. So there's those times and those hours as well. Assume eight hours a week on that. And a conversion rate of 25% of those times, which means, okay, so if, every, if I'm going to get a quarter of people I meet and that's a lot of hours I'm not going to be meeting people or I'm not going to be converting. So net effect, we're talking 63 hours a week to get your 
22 FaceTime hours. So suddenly your $100,000 per annum income on half a week isn't. And then you know, well, do I want to go 63 hours a week with all that effort, all that risk for $100,000 a year? And, and does $100 an hour justify all that effort? And the answer is, well, generally no. If you, so how do we do this? So again, now we are business modeling now in order to make a lifestyle and a, and a, and a system that would work for us as a consultant, as a self-employed business owner. And you'll notice that I'm actually modeling the business right now. And in doing so, giving you an idea of, let's know what the end game is and what's in it for us before getting in. Let's see the profit in the deal before we buy it. So what if we were to raise our price then from $100 an hour to $150 an hour for per client hour? And you go, oh, okay, well, if I do that, then I need two thirds of the hours in a week in order to generate the same income. So my 60 becomes 40 hours, doesn't become as many hours, so I can do that more frequently. Okay, what if I doubled the revenue, made it $200 an hour? If I did it at $200 an hour, that means I only half my FaceTime hours. I save hours on that. The marketing will be less. I don't have to see so many people. I don't have to do so much face-to-face um, -face time on a 25% conversion rate. I can see less people. And what's happening then is I'm preserving my time, being more efficient and creating a model that will generate profit as opposed to simply leaving one job and starting another. And by the way, Brendan, I uh, just want to come back to some core principles you're sort of teaching here because you can see that from the modelling of this business, you're able to make really effective decisions. With, without this information, you'll end up getting into or building a business. I know this from working with clients. They, they, they start businesses that when you do this after the fact, after they've started, you quickly show them why that business model won't work. Mm. If they did it first, they wouldn't be in the trouble that they're in because this particular person that you're talking about is going to be in a whole world of pain Very unless those prices quickly. go up. Very quickly. Yeah, really important. So just again for everyone to see, it, without this information, you really do not know how your business model is going to work from a profit perspective or a lifestyle perspective. The point here, though, and here's a point of interest, the point here, though, is not only are we modelling the business so that we can determine whether it's profitable or not, the last question on this list is, what does the market bear for the service I provide? Because as much as oh, $200 an hour would make this a business that is viable and generate a profit and yield an outcome for my life that I'm after, let's say. But if the market will only bear 150 then you're getting to a business that's just going to fail. You're yeah. getting to a business that will set you up for a lot of hurt for a long time. Yeah. And bought yourself another job for which there is no escape. Yeah. So, so knowing the numbers in the deal, not only... How does the model work? Because if you look at the Renault deal that I was speaking about earlier, I did all the costs, then what does the market bear? What will the market pay? Same thing for business. These are all my costs. This is my profit I'm looking to expect out of it. But what will the market bear? What will the market pay for my service? And I've got to yield a business or create the business on the basis of what the market is willing to pay and prove that it's profitable rather than go, I've got a model that works and charge anything I like and find out it's going to fail because nobody wants to pay that price. Yep. So you can't do it in isolation. You have to do it within the market as well. So doing a business 
doing a, a property investment deal, taking on any venture whatsoever without knowing the numbers in the deal really introduces risk. It introduces a sense of gambling to the venture you're looking to take on. And one of the things we're not looking to do here is to gamble. One of the things we want to avoid here is gambling. Um, ready, fire, aim is gambling. Most businesses start off with an idea or a vision or a concept without doing a decent feasibility, without doing a decent assessment on what the market wants and whether the, there is enough market demand for the product. Um, and on the basis of hope and prayer, they go in and they play. And the risk is, and you know, Perry, nine out of 10 businesses fail in the first year. And the vast majority of those is bit failing is because they don't know the market they're getting into. They don't know the tolerance for price that they're getting into that market for. They're not clear on their own model. They're not clear on their expenses. And the outcome is they've gambled their way into a mess. And That's right. putting it all on black is just not the answer. Yeah, you've communicated before about businesses that just throw a whole bunch of money at marketing, as an example, without... Yeah. <laughs> hit and miss without tying that into their budget as a percentage of gross, et cetera. You know, they're, 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 the whole problem with approaching it without, uh, from, a, from anything other than a money perspective or a money model perspective is, as you've quite rightly said, you're just putting it into the hands of fate. It is a gamble. So if we can quickly talk about why some people are really good with models and some people aren't with their financial modeling. I'm just going to jump in for one more minute. Sure. Just to offer people a, a little something that might help them with their, their thinking. You okay if I do that? Of course. Yeah. When you're looking to get into something new, when you're looking to expand an event, on a venture, when you're looking to uh, expand a business or take on a property or uh, do whatever it is you're looking to do that's going to, by intent, yield a better outcome for your life. There are eight, eight questions that I'll encourage you to ask yourself. Simple, simple questions, but if you delve into these, they will make a world of difference as to whether you're gonna gamble your way through or know how to do it before getting into it and that it'll work. And these eight questions go something like, one, how much money do I need to put in? So what is your investment in the deal? Two, how much profit will I be getting back from the endeavour? So if you're not clear on that, then you need to do more in order to be clear on that. Three, when do I get my money back? When do I receive my profit? So there are two parts of that. If I'm going to put money in, when do I get my capital back? If I'm going to put money in, when do I get my profit on my capital? They don't have to be at the same time, but it's important that you get your capital back or have a system for being able to do so. Four, what are the primary risks to the success of, the, of this use of my money and time? Don't forget, time is a component of this. There's an opportunity cost if you invest your time into this deal. There is an opportunity cost because that time is lost. You never get that time back. And if you had invested that time into something that was a more profit-making venture, then you'd be in a better place. So don't don't underestimate the value of time in what you're looking to take on. It is a price that you're paying. So what are the primary risks associated with the money that you're investing in and the time that you're investing in, the opportunity cost? Five, what are the contingencies and triggers to manage those risks? So 
if you've identified risks, you have to have a plan in order to solve the problems that those risks should they appear um, in order to avoid going down a path that leads you to a black hole. What are the contingencies? Don't, don't think on the fly I can solve this. Have some sort of idea so it's just a flick of a trigger as opposed to a, a panic, what do I do? Because making a, a business decision and emotional state being a panic of outcome is going to lead you to a miserable, miserable outcome. Um, six, what is my worst case scenario and am I okay with that? If you're not clear on your worst case scenario, then get clear on your worst case scenario and then make sure that you've come and created a piece around that worst case scenario coming out because that is, that is the worst case that could happen for you. If you're okay with that, then you're free to venture forward. If you're not okay with that, then either don't do the deal or risk mitigate some of the way. How does undertaking this project help me to achieve my goals? You must be clear on the end game and how this contributes to your life before getting into it. Because if it's just a, you know what, uh, airy fairy hope and prayer, um, then it may be a, a, a waste of time or the wrong thing for you to be taking on right now. And then the final question, which is going to lead into where you're at in the conversations you're about to go down, Perry, is, is this project congruent with my ethics, values and beliefs? Because if it's not, you're setting yourself up for fail. You will self-sabotage, you will put something in place that will have you crash and burn with your business, no matter how good the numbers may be. So you must align with the business venture you're looking to take on. Perry, I, I know you're thinking on this and you, you absolutely back that, correct? No, definitely. It's just, you've got to have a wholehearted buy into the project. If there are parts of you that don't align with that project, then Brendan's right. You'll end up limiting or self-sabotaging that. Because if you have total value buy-in, all your emotional energy, all your logical um, prowess is put towards that project. Alignment is is very important. While Brendan was speaking, I'm, I'm, I'm running my head through, you know, numbers of clients that I've worked with over the years. And you can see real distinct patterns uh, emerging. So I'll quickly talk to those. So, you know, you talked about the, the example of the person earlier, Brendan, where you, one of your mentoring clients where she was really passionate about this uh, business idea mm. and extremely, extremely. And, and this is a half the challenge and issue for a lot of people that get into business and especially those that haven't been trained in, you know, that haven't done an MBA or, or had formal education. They tend to, to come into business with lots of a passion. They're, they're driven by a sense of, purpose uh, that as you said before about that uh, particular person their hearts absolutely involved in that and so they tend to have a lot of enthusiastic energy for it um, and they get excited and in that excitement they somehow just believe that this idea is going to work because they are so excited about it and, and oftentimes conceptually their idea stacks up so I, I have that all the time when clients, new clients come to see me and they tell me about the business that they're in or the business that they're starting. We tend to mostly work with people that are actually in business and they display passionately this communication about what their business does for clients, how, how much passion it brings them. They're really inspired 
that enthusiasm overrides the part of them that is suspicious, that would be careful. And this is why oftentimes those people that do come from the financial perspective to start with tend to be more risk adverse, Brendan, in my experience, meaning from a human behavioral perspective, they tend to be more conservative in their outlook, in the way that they operate in the world, where a lot of entrepreneurial types aren't by nature. They're the opposite. They are driven by passion and excitement, as I said. So to me, it's, it's learning to meld the two because also mm -hmm. some people can be so numbers orientated and that everything's, uh, you know, fearful in what they're doing that it diminishes their sense of, of passion and purpose. I think that you've got to have both components within your psychology to be an effective business owner. And from a profiling perspective, as an example, you know, some of what we call like the evaluator types. Evaluator types have high attention to detail. Um, uh, they'll, they won't take risks. They won't take, they won't make a decision without knowing all the facts without getting all the data, that type of person naturally gravitates to really doing good financial modelling. Oftentimes, as I said before, they won't take risks at all. And sometimes being so numbers-focused can stop them from seeing things that they could see if they were a bit more passionate excited, by the way. Do you understand that, Brendan? Mm -hmm. You would see that with, with some of the people that you mentor. Correct. We have a uh, – the, the program rerun is very detail-orientated, so there is certainty of profit before uh, – or a far greater potential certainty of profit before buying yep. it. Um, yep. And we train people in that. And it's, it's really powerful from the perspective of being able to have that certainty, but there are people who are particularly nervous who use – that desire for certainty as a tool not to actually do anything. Exactly. That's what I was trying to say. And, and I think I can use you as a good example, Brendan, because you have, and I've known you for quite some time, you've got an entrepreneurial spirit. You get very passionate, very purpose-driven. <laughs> um, so that leads, that leads, but action's not taken without bringing the numbers game into play. So you, you got that really, I think you've got that really good balance Thank of, you. of, of, of those two sides. Now, if, if we go to... Uh, the types, and you would have mentored people like this. And, and I think the, the, the world is about 40 to 50% of the world will fall into this category. So there are, there are types that we call motivators. And motivators are very extroverted. Both you and I have motivated tendencies. Mm -hmm. um, we can build rapport with people really quickly. We tend to communicate with passion and emotion in our voice. And when we love someone, we let them know we love them. <laughs> You know, <laughs> you know um, we like to have a lot of fun and we, we, we enjoy people. Typically, if, if you're too much that way, you actually hate numbers. You, you hate details. Mm. Um, and again, you can see that's a huge disadvantage because you have to get to the point where you do love numbers or you do have systems in place that deal with numbers which i'm going to talk about in a second right because if you're not naturally in love with numbers 
first thing you've got to do is be aware of that, be aware that that's actually a weakness and put a couple of things in places so that numbers are taken care of. So just quickly, Brendan, have you met people that you've mentored that are more of that emotive uh, type, uh, oh. fun-orientated, love communicating, love talking? They'll yeah. come to your get-togethers and they'll, they're once chatting to everyone. But when the details start happening about money, they glaze over, oh, this is so boring. And, and their eyes cloud over. Yeah, and yeah. They're, they're, anything is more interesting in this. Um, yeah, absolutely. They, there are people of that nature. And there are those who refuse to see it. They refuse to recognise it. Um, those that recognise it are able then to go, okay, I need to put something in place here because... I, either I need to, to suck it up and learn or I need to have something in place such that I can have the numbers analysed from somebody I trust. That allows me to see what they're seeing. That, that's um, where I was going to go, yeah. Yeah, perfect. Um, but, no, there are people out there who just go, yeah, no, I don't want to deal with it and that's I refuse to deal with it and I'm going to try and buy something because I think it's going to be great. By the way, I love that, but those people always learn. <laughs> they, they, they never get away. away. They never get away with it. They 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 have to learn because, in some ways, what we're talking about are, are basic laws of investing mm. and business. They're laws, and if you if you if you break the law, you will pay the price. So a basic mm. law in a business is you have to know and manage your numbers. So, uh, just case in point, I would agree with you that if if you are that type. You need to have people on your team that look after the numbers for you, and so they're reporting to you. But I just want to quickly say something, Brendan. I reckon no one gets away. So in my experience, I can't just hand. I've got really good numbers people around me. I can't just hand things over to them. No. If 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 it's like a it's like I suppose it's like a law. If I'm not willing to manage the numbers and take responsibility for the numbers and I just hand it off, somehow things don't work as well as they do. If I am willing to take total responsibility for the numbers, understand the numbers, but then hand off. There's a completely different energetic framework. Well, that's, when that what happens. you're talking about there is um, delegation versus abdication. If you if you abdicate the responsibility of another somebody else, that's where you'll end up in a mess. If you yeah. delegate to somebody else where the responsibility still sits with you, as you say, then you will see what you need to see. I learned this years ago with my mother, by the way. This is a quick story. I won't bore you, Brendan, I promise you. <laughs> um, <laughs> I, just, I watched my mum and I watched her get ripped off by mechanics. Right? Yeah. And um, I quickly learned that because I had a rudimentary knowledge of how motors work. You know, in the old days, you didn't have all electronics. Was, I used to strip motors as a kid. And I, I would, so I started coming to the mechanics with, with mum. And I wasn't an expert at all, but I understood motors enough that I could have conversations with people. And all of a sudden, my mum was no longer ripped off. And I sort of learned that, you know, you have to take responsibility for anything that is important to you in your life. You don't have to be the leading expert in it. But you've, you've got to demonstrate that you're serious enough about it to have knowledge about it and to understand what the experts are saying to you. But that's an interesting point too. What you're saying is you need to understand the language of the world that you're playing in and have a perspective around that business 
and what occurs in that business in order to be able to see the sharks, in order to be able to manage the sharks, in order to be able to, to preserve and, as you say, take responsibility for your investment and the time you're putting into it. Oh, correct. And even, even if it's not managing sharks, so as an example, on my team, I've got people that are the opposite of sharks, but I still need to understand. But yes, yes, for managing sharks, but even when you're working with good quality people, if I'm talking to my financial advisors, I have to have a, enough of a rudimentary understanding of what they're trying to bring to me that I am making decisions alongside them because they'll usually tell me what they think I should be doing, but I have to be switched on enough to be able to really think about and have knowledge about what they've brought to me so I can make effective decisions. So if we bring that then back to the conversation around numbers, how can people who are not really clear on numbers, who are afraid of numbers, how can they get an understanding of how numbers works and, 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 and take responsibility rather than be forced to abdicate through fear or anxiety? The answer comes down in my mind to just having a solid enough high level perspective. There is a certain amount of common sense that just exists. You know broadly, and whether you're good at numbers or not, you know that an orange plus an orange is two oranges. If you keep yep. it at high level, at that level, then you can see um, common sense in something. Now, you can't have Oh, I've got an orange in one hand, an orange in the other hand, here's my three oranges, people just go, no, that doesn't make sense. So a way to manage an anxiety around numbers is to consider and just delve into or stay in the high level. Let me see if I can give you an example from a, from a Renault perspective. Um, buy a Renault sell as a project. Um, people say, oh, well, where do I spend my money on doing my renovation? Because if I walk into a house, it can... It can cost me hundreds of thousands of dollars and, and I don't know what to spend or where to spend it. The answer is you have a budget um, before going into the deal. You know what your budget is and your objective is to stick within that budget. And you go, okay, well, what do I spend my money on? And high level, you can break down Renault's, broadly speaking, into lump sum amounts. And it works out the traders tend to like the $5,000 figure. So let me give you an insight into how that might work. In a standard three-bedroom, one-bathroom house, you can do all of the floors for about five grand. So you can re-carpet those bits, repolish those bits, retile those bits, and all up, it'll be better five grand. You can paint the inside of a house, three-bedroom, one-bathroom, for about five grand. Paint the outside for about five grand. You can get the plumbing done for about five grand. You can rewire for about five grand. You can do a bathroom for about five grand. You know, you can do a kitchen for multiples of five grand. Um, you know. Now, at, at that high level, if you've got a $30,000 budget, you can go, oh, well, I've got six lots of five grand that I can spend. I can do the floors, I can do the bathroom, I can do two in the kitchen, I can do uh, the walls and the outside. Guess what? My Renault's done on 30 grand. But you've got a high level understanding. Well, running a business is exactly the same. Exactly what I'm thinking. Yeah. Um, there are... Uh, Profit is it comes from a formula. There's a formula that, that does profit. And, and the formula is very, very simple. It is the number of sales, so how many sales are you making? What is, so it's the number of sales, then you've got the sale price, but the sale price is, is what is the sale price minus my selling costs? Yep. Yeah? Yep. So there is, there is the revenue you generate minus what the, the cost of goods. Yeah. Mm. If you keep this at a very high level, a number of sales, 
times what my sell price is minus my selling costs. That gives me my gross revenue for the business. Yeah, it's just those three things. Number, price, minus selling costs. Bang. And then you take away your <clears throat> fixed costs. And your fixed costs are your labor hours, your rent, all of the things that you're stuck with. That broadly gives you a sense of profit. Mm. Yep. So formula, broadly speaking, profit equals, let's do it the other way around, profit equals sales price minus variable costs together times the number of units minus fixed costs. Now, if you can keep your numbers at a level, excuse me, <clears throat> sorry about that. If you can keep your numbers at that level and understand it, by all means, get people involved to fill out all the details for you. You'll broadly be able to understand your business and what you're looking to achieve. So for those people who aren't particularly strong, apply yourself to a system and simply tap into a system. That's all you need to do. Um, get somebody to set up a spreadsheet for you where you put this number in this box, this number in this box, this number in this box, and now it's an answer. That's all you need to do. Take the complexity that you, you wear and internalise around numbers as being hard or boring or whatever it is. Take that. Delegate that, that the process to somebody else but have them explain it to you so you get it and then just simply tap into the system so that you can read those numbers brilliantly. Brand, brand. Yeah, really interesting what you're saying. That's how I do it. Uh, I, I work with my guys. They report to me every two weeks. And they report to me in a, in a spreadsheet that we have created that's quick and easy for me to understand. Simple stuff. Perfect. And that's Thanks. Yeah. Thanks, Brendan. Uh, I hope everyone got a lot from today. And uh, as you can see, if you don't manage the money, the money will manage you. Just made that one up. <laughs> <laughs> but if you don't, it's gambling. I like what Brendan said. It's just gambling. So know your numbers. Thanks for well, different terminology, different terminology. Money follows management. Yeah. Money follows management. I, I'd actually it's say there's an energetic prin principle to that, Brendan. When you put energy into something, you show that you value it. And this might get a little bit woo-woo, but I just see it time and time again. That tends to attract. Don't ask me mm. the mechanism behind it, but if you value something, you put attention to it, you take care of that, it tends to attract. So, good principle. Thanks, everyone. Thank you. See you all next week.